Hello, welcome to Impact the World. Today's guest is Kate Scheller. Kate's someone who is incredibly dear to my heart. I've actually known Kate for almost 25 years. Uh, we were both involved in different healing groups and facilitation experiences with each other. And so to watch Kate's journey over these years and to get to have a conversation with her about it today was really special. Kate's training and work has involved dance, fashion, shamanism, but always coming back to healing as both a way of life and a personal practice, and in her case, holding space for others for their healing. This conversation takes us in many different directions. We talk about why dance has been so important for Kate, what she's noticing in this last couple of years and where we are as a world today and what we're going to need to move through everything that we've been through as a society. And lastly, I asked Kate about motherhood. I know this is something that's very special to her. And so I hope you enjoy the episode. As ever, we are an independent show. So if you do enjoy what we put out and you want to support us, leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, if you listen or on YouTube, if you watch, is really helpful. And don't forget to subscribe. But for today, enjoy Kate Scheller, and you can find Kate at katescheller.com. All links are below in the show notes. Kate, oh my God. So this is something we've been talking about doing for a little while. Mm -hmm. And you are someone who is very dear to my heart because we have weaved in and out of each other's lives for about 25 years. Yeah. We have been together at uh, self-growth groups like 20 years ago. Um, we've exchanged medicine with each other. Uh, in, and I don't mean necessarily plant medicine, although that, I don't remember no, that. No, never done that No, one. We've, just, we've just exchanged. <laughs> we never needed that, darling. <laughs> we didn't. But we've, we've, we've kind of held space for each other at different times in different ways. And then we've had periods where we haven't seen each other for years. But it's always like coming home to a, an old friend conversation when we're together. So thank you for having a, a conversation here about, about everything you're doing and, and just connection and life. Thank you, Lee. It's so, it's so lovely. I mean, I think I said to you when I was driving here and lots of traffic, just reflecting on some of those early meetings of being on the kind of seventh floor of an apartment building in Hove and coming together mostly with a group of strangers, except yeah. you and our dear friend Dido, Dido and doing profound transformational work, work that I look back upon now and go, some of those sessions have created my reality right now, based on the love and the community and the willingness to speak the unspeakable in front of strangers, but feeling the trust because of your container with Dido. Well, and we, I, I mean, I agree. I, I look back on those times. So for, for anyone watching or listening, you know, we were following a model called psychology of vision. Um, there were lots of facilitators scattered around who would uh, facilitate the model. And mm -hmm. basically, yeah, in Brighton, UK, we would come together and on a Wednesday night, on a Wednesday night, every Wednesday. And it, yeah, different people would focus what they were going through in their life. And mm -hmm. so sometimes you might be a focused person. Other times, you're holding space. We mm. did all kinds of stuff together. Mm. Wow. And now here we both are at this moment in America. Yeah. All these years later, you were someone who for me, because <clears throat> you've done many different things, mm. 
but you are someone who I first knew as a facilitator at the time of Five Rhythms Dance. Yeah. And I would do my clients on a Tuesday because I did lots of one-on-one -on -one readings back then. So I'd have like four or five clients in one day. And then I would come to your dance class to release and shake it off and integrate. And I'll never forget, and this is one of the things I loved about you, I've always loved your deep- <laughs> I get nervous, what are no, you gonna no. tell me? <laughs> what am I gonna say? Well, yeah, wait for it. I remember one night I was in there and we were, you know, dancing. There was about 60 of us because your class was always really full. And we're about 20 minutes into it and I think it's going fine. And all of a sudden you stop the music and you get the mic and you go, right! And you walk out the front and you go, none of you lot are in this. None of you, you know, you kind of gave us all the dressing down and we're all like this kind of what, oh my God. And lo and behold, the dance class got better because you could tell that whatever was going on in the room that night whatever was going on in our bodies, whatever was going on in the world or in that part of Brighton, we were somehow stuck or somehow arrested. And I was always blown away by that element of your seeing, your space holding. You know, you would always come with love, but you would come with a ton of fire. And that was, I always, that, I always appreciated that. And, and I remember that that group was a place where I really learned a lot about intimacy but also boundaries like mm. oh you're in relationship in this dance mm. but for me what i was learning was you're allowed to be in relationship in dance with this person and not give yourself away to them you can actually hold something back that was really my edge mm. at that time mm. so i guess you know as i as i look back on that dance you have always said has been one of your ways of of being a healer both personally and, and holding that space for others which you still do today yeah so what's your question? How did it come to you? What, dancing mm. or healing? I mean, I say this all the time. I can't remember a time when I wasn't dancing. Um, and granted, that was really mirror to me. My, I, you know, I've said this many times. My parents came from quite traditional backgrounds in the East End, you know, kind of second generation Jews. And my parents went out dancing every single night, except Shabbat. So Friday night, you didn't go out dancing. and. So cut to when they were 29 and they finally met each other, even though they'd grown up in the community, that all kind of stopped. But then that transition to bar mitzvahs and weddings and parties. And so the radio was always on in the kitchen. My parents were often dancing in the kitchen. It was really their home base. It was their, their love language. Um, and so that was constantly mirrored to me, the joy, the transformation that happens, the intimacy, the fun. Um, and so I can only remember if I look back at my youth and there were difficult moments, but at the center of it all was dancing. And, um, and I really wanted to be a professional dancer. I mean, I really wanted, I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be, yeah. And I started to go to loads of classes at the place in London and I was terrible. <laughs> And I remember a teacher in a jazz class coming up to me. She goes, you're a great dancer. You're just never going to be a professional dancer. That skill set is just not available to you. And I remember being heartbroken because, you know, to be a professional dancer, for me, it's almost like you've got to be brilliant at maths. Mm. You've got to get things immediately. You've got to get them back to front. You've got to get them upside down. You've got to copy. And my brain is not really that kind of brain. And so what she did, even though she disappointed me, she gave me a fundamental truth that was the thing you're seeking is not 
this way, but actually the potential for what you want might be in another direction. So don't waste your time over here, because if you waste your time over here, you're only going to experience kind of grief and disappointment. And it launched me into just going clubbing all the time. So I didn't take drugs. I didn't meet people. I didn't drink. I just went specifically to the WAG and I danced my tits off. And then I get the night bus home. So for me, dancing was really the location where I felt I could physically express all that I was feeling. I could articulate all the languages that I felt I was speaking, even if I didn't have them with friends, because I always felt like I was a bit of a weirdo. I was never cool enough. I didn't have boobs. I didn't have hairy armpits. I didn't, I didn't represent the kind of ideal of feminine that I wanted to mm. be when I was growing up. And I always felt like I was a little bit of arrested development. Um, and I just felt like I was listening to a different tune, but longing to fit in. And I really f always felt that I, I fitted in or I made sense when I was dancing. And so, and then of course I went into the fashion industry because that was my other kind of passion. And I learned so much in that community about expression and artistry and brilliance and otherness, you know, like really be involved in the kind of queer culture of the fashion industry. Mm. And the more fabulous and weird you are, the more you're welcome and the more unusual or sensitive, but always dancing. And so, yeah, it's basically been my best beloved. Well, when did it become something that you started to facilitate for others? Well, if I look back, I mean, you know, I grew up in the North London Jewish suburbs and I was involved in a Jewish youth organization called BBYO. And it was for the youth, run by the youth. You couldn't be in the organization if you were over 30. And so I would be part of this group at the local synagogue. And very, very early on, I was like, I want to be involved. I want to be in the kind of the leadership role. So I got elected to be the weekly programmer. So every Wednesday night from probably the age of about 14, I was organizing what this group of kids was doing at the local synagogues, so whether that was a workshop about trees or world jewelry or I don't know, hula hooping. It would be my job to focus what the content would be. And the more and more I got involved, the higher up I kind of went within the organization and I got elected to be the national programmer and I remember being 18 and organizing with a group of other teenagers and a workshop for 250 teenagers and it was called Windows to the World mm. and doing crazy amazing things with these group of teenagers. So for me, doing what I do has always been part of my life, being part of a community, being part of a collective, cooperating with other folks with shared leadership in the name of transformation and healing and fun and understanding. So, and then I think, I'm just trying to think, yeah, wanting to be a dancer and going, oh, wanting to study dance at university, no. And then I was led to Los Angeles initially in my 20s, working through Elle magazine. And I met a healer and I changed my whole life. I left Elle, I moved to LA to study with this meditation group. And very early on, I was told about Gabrielle Roth's work. And the minute that name was mentioned, there'd been other opportunities where I'd heard her name, I went, that's my destiny. And so I went to work with Gabrielle. And that was kind of like my destiny was waiting for me in that room. Like, oh, OK, this is the appointment. I wanted to be a famous fashion stylist at that point going, no, 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 no. Yeah. So I've had a lot of doorways where I've made choices, you know, and where people have come in and gone, is that really what you want to do? Mm -hmm. Or would you like to do that, but go deeper? 
And so for me, working in the fashion industry, what I loved about it was the community, mm. was the secrets that were shared, was the shared stories, was the opportunity to get to know people in a very, very quick way and go very deep and then not see them again. And my boss at the time, Kim Bowen, would kind of call me Shalora the Aura. And she'd go, you're just like Princess Diana. Everyone wants to tell you their stories. <laughs> and it would just be this joke, Shalora the Aura or Sheila the Healer. And definitely different adults would kind of reflect that back to me. But I was terrified of the idea of being called a healer. I felt that the responsibility of that was almost repulsive to me. So. Dancing and healing and community have just kind of been who I've come from. And I think if you come from a kind of really normal working class Jewish background, it's kind of who you are. Mm. It's the texture of what makes sense to overcome a lot of pain. You know, yeah. eating, dancing and celebrating help you get over a lot of loss and tragedy. Um, so I think it's kind of innate on a cellular level. I can't help myself. Yeah. And it's funny because before I met you, I met your now husband, Tim. Mm -hmm. I was 19 years old and Tim was brought in uh, to our drama school to teach us five rhythms for about, I think he taught us for about seven or eight weeks, once a week. And um, so it was then funny that all those years later, I ended up at your class in Brighton as an independent adult, if you like. And um, when you two came together, was that in a workshop room or did you have, yeah? Yeah, so we met at Esalen um, in Big Sur which um, was a place that Gabrielle taught at regularly. And so, yeah, we went at a workshop called Naked Soul in 95. So we met on the dance floor and it's been, you know, the thing that has anchored us up all in, in very, very, very difficult times and joyous times. And it's like my parents, it's our love language. Mm. And I think, you know, the more people are dancing, and that's also what's really transformed, I think, in the last 20 years, more and more people are dancing. You know, whether it's tango or step or aerobics or gymnastics, or people are coming to dance because they know that embodiment of the story that they're living helps them live day to day and transform the difficulty of what doesn't make sense. You know, we were talking earlier about how we're already in the future. You know, this is coming out in some point in the future and this meeting is representing that time. And I feel movement really allows different time zones to come together. So the past can align with where you are. The present can connect with the future and bring it into the present. So there's this sense of multidimensionality that works whilst you're in motion. And I love that time travel aspect of embodiment. And I, you know, for even people that are just doing basketball or just or working out, I think there's this magical place that people feel this alignment with a body in motion because the truth is nothing is static. You know, even when you're dead, I think your nails and your hair can still grow. Mm -hmm. So I think this idea that there's ultimate stillness or ultimate still point, I don't know if that really is true. You know, the cosmos is breathing all the time, isn't it? It's pulsing. And so what I know, it's like I, I, when I start talking and I get excited, my whole body just wants to move because I feel like I'm calling in wisdom, whatever that means to me. And it's igniting my cellular system into being right here with you. But so a body in motion helps me be still. Love it. And what I... <laughs> 
What I'm, you know, I'm struck by as I'm listening to you, and it's kind of taking me back a little bit in my own journey with dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I never wanted to be a dancer. <laughs> and I was certainly, whenever I would do musicals when I was a kid, and I did a lot of them, the choreography was always my challenge. Not the singing, not the acting. But the choreography was like, oh, God, this is going to take me like four times longer than it's taking everyone else. So I always had it in my head because I'd just grown up knowing dancers' choreography and being mm-hmm. impressed by choreographed dancers. And it's funny because I think if we hadn't been kind of pushed into Five Rhythms as part of my course, and then I had the fortune of landing in Brighton and your class was nearby and I knew, I knew other people, so we had mutual friends. To me, what, was, what became this place of... Um, healing like it was always healing for me and I I realized oh Lee you're never going to dance as a choreographed dancer but you can do the shamanic thing you can shake it off you can let it you can let it move through your body but whenever I would tell people what I was doing they would be like you do what and and people there was this judgment or fear of what do you mean you just go into a room and what's the choreography what do you mean? Like, and, and I remember, you know, someone I was dating at the time used to refer to it, who's going to the hippie dance again. Yes, I remember you telling yeah. me that. And, yeah. and lo and behold, he ended up coming after, after we broke up, you know, and he kind of got into it. It's always the way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why, where have we culturally become so afraid of our bodies and movement? I know that's a big question. And maybe because you were holding space, you never ran into that resistance. But what? Oh, I don't know about that. I can no? be, yeah, I can be equally shy or self-conscious. And I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Particularly also any anyone that's in the public eye to some degree, people project onto you that you're always comfortable, comfortable totally. or confident or that you couldn't be shy or that you're not a kind of recluse or a hermit. So I have had that my entire life because I'm very upfront and emotional and passionate but the truth is I'm incredibly private and I love my hermetic cave and really turn to beloveds for certain specific things and have a very close circle but the minute you put me in a room to be in service yeah you know it's like it's it's like turning on the lights and I'm sure that's the same for you totally but I just think you know everyone's got to find their thing for me it's been dance And I know that through that portal, all the messages that I need to hear come through. And my intent now that I'm, you know, I've been teaching for a long, long time, like you holding space from, you know, two people in the room to hundreds in a room, the intention for me is about healing. Mm. It's like, that's that's the, the sacred ground upon which we stand. And for me, that means that miracles can happen now. And not because anything is being put on you or being asked of you, but the simple fact that a group of people are coming together to move, to transform themselves with a consciousness of openness and curiosity and willingness, magic happens. And I think also people are very scared of looking foolish. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of perfection in the field. People want to belong. People want to be cool. You know, there's all these things that the culture, I mean, what you know, the word culture means so many things. And it, I think, you know, I think we draw common sense from the culture. We draw understanding from the culture. And there's so much nonsense about our culture now. And we're in such a time of like really trying to 
figure it all out. You know, so yeah. much fear and anxiety and, and terror fundamentally and trauma. Um, so when people come together with a common intentionality, even if that's to, I want to be kinder to myself, or I want to pause, or I want to receive more, that affects the cells in the room. Mm. And also people want to come together and have some fun. Mm -hmm. That's what I also see. I mean, you know, people will come and do deep work, but they'd also end up within, say, a two-hour class, have a moment of feeling liberated, a sense of freedom, a sense of connection, a sense of deliciousness or attraction or a radicalized transformation of the way they perceive themselves and the fake mirrors, you know. Yeah. It's like I don't have mirrors up in my house because I don't believe them to be the true mirror. You know, I look into your eyes and I go, okay, here I am. Mm. So for me, the dance holds the possibility or community, whatever the community is, that also has a lot of permission to kind of question and doubt and, you know, have some freedom to not necessarily be a cult. Yes. <laughs> Basically, um, magic happens. Yeah. And, and trauma that you either know is there or didn't know is there shifts. I'm, I'm reminded of whenever we would do our week-long soul magic retreats in Costa Rica, uh, I would always hold at least one dance night, which would throw people who weren't expecting that. You know, they were more comfortable with the the way of doing transformation work that we do it in the day. But I'm, I always remember this one great woman who uh, was so horrified that we were doing this. Mm. And we only really learned this the next day that she had, she deliberately avoided all kinds of nightclubs, dance parties, everything, all her life. But because she felt safe enough to just come and try it, which is kind of how I, I said, just come and try. Mm. And you can close your eyes and you can dance with your eyes closed, you know, and just kind of gave them a few things as to kind of get in. And she now goes every week yeah. and she loves it, but she had a huge trauma release. And I always remember that at your classes, you would see if you weren't feeling it yourself and having a moment, you would often see someone just burst open because once you move the body, it all starts to yeah. open out and yeah. move. Well, and also we've all been, we've all been, it's been requested to suppress a lot of different things, mm. right? I mean, everyone on the planet, wherever they've come from, there's been a request to maybe potentially re repress something. Yeah. And so I think that's what happens when you start moving. I mean, my experience of it too in the early days was, particularly with the material that I didn't want to have be revealed to me, I felt that there was this kind of sense that I was, my psyche wanted to strip tease itself in front of me. It wanted to show me what I wasn't willing to see. And, and also at right time and in the right configurations, like, you know, there can be sometimes, I'm sure you experience this, like when you're teaching or when you're participating, certain people in the room are just catalysts. Mm -hmm. And that's also the kind of the beauty of working in groups is there are people in there in service to your healing, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know, yeah. or and so that's all. There are certain nights where you go, whoa! What before you even get there, you're driving. You know, and I used to teach in person, driving to Soho dance here in LA, and go, something's in the air. Mm -hmm. It's in the traffic. It's in the way I smell. It's in the way my tummy's feeling. And then you know, the crew we would meet in the car park, and there'd be this check-in, and you could feel that everyone knew what was coming, and this sense of excitement and expectation, but the unknown, 
And when you're opening up to the invisible, you know, anything's possible. Yeah. Anything's possible. And mostly, I would say, in the name of good. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, being in person, mm. I know in the last couple of years, you, like so many of us, have had to take what you used to do in person and offer it in a different way. I would love to, at this moment, share a beautiful video that you put on Instagram the other day. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to play the video. So if you're watching the show, you will get to witness um, this. And if you're listening, you will get to hear the audio of this beautiful video. I do recommend checking it out on YouTube. Um, but maybe we'll watch the clip and then talk about it. Okay. It was an extraordinary feeling to be back on the dance floor after two years. After having been teaching basically on TV for the last two years, two years of Zoom and two years of almost being above the waist. To be fully embodied in a space and so deeply connected to nature shocked me. I was aware of how wooden I felt in my body. I, I literally felt like I was a carved out doll that couldn't quite connect with my, with my own physical material. It felt so alien to me. My initial experience of starting to move was all the feelings I had around my father and his death from COVID. And it just brought it all back in a way that I, I don't think I'd fully integrated um, for myself from head to toe and back to front and outside in and inside out. And it was this huge tsunami of sensation and story and our personal family story and the global story that was so present under my skin and on top of my skin. It was almost like little pinpricks of acupuncture and sensations returning to their rightful places and to be integrated in, in a good way and a respectful way for myself to bring me back into a sense of cohesion and wholeness. I had been, right before I saw that video, I'd been wondering about how, how are we all like going to reintegrate? Like we're just beginning to come back together. And then I, I saw your video. And of course, I know how important your dad, Savile, mm. was to you. Mm. Um, and it was, it just struck me just watching that video. I was very moved by what you said, what you shared. Mm. And by this idea that almost two years later, because you were back in the body in a different way, a, a whole new layers were coming out of you. <clears throat> how, how was that for you, the, the experience? I mean, it must have been. I mean, sur surreal, because um, I was, I definitely had been one of those people that I was like, I really wasn't that interested in social media. I love being in person. I love the visceral experience of physical matter and physical shape or having clients to work with one-on-one -on -one and, you know, like, get right in there. And then when COVID hit, Amber and I went, we have to put 
our whole business, the 360 Emergence Online. And she had said about six months before, April 2020, we're going to go online. And I was like, and she was like, and I was like, oh, great. So she had an absolute vision of an appointment, not knowing what was to come. Um, So going online was such a steep curve in terms of, as you know, the technology that's involved Mm -hmm. in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, Whilst being hit by this pandemic and this global terror, and we went online, I think like the 26th of March, first time. And by the 7th of March, my dad was, the seventh, no, seventh, sorry, 7th of April, April, my dad was dead. So <laughs> it was like literally two weeks of being online and then processing my dad's death, COVID, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, Ahmad Arbery, like the whole, civil rights, human rights, global awakening moment simultaneously. So I would say two years of that (laughs) and then being in person and also being in person like twice a week teaching, having clients, you know, two or three times a week, going out, seeing people, suddenly everything being confined. So coming back to teaching in person with 50 people in a room in January, it didn't hit me until we, that morning when we were setting up. I mean, and also going, oh my God, what is it to do your own tech? You know, I have yeah. a sound person. I mean, my husband and my son were doing all the sec and all the tech and suddenly going, how is this? Oh my God, like just the shock. And then moving in a room and going, I don't even know who I am. Because I also think for two years, my whole focus was on how can I keep us alive to some degree? My family, my dance community, the extended community, how as a healer can I just show up and give 10 million watts of love so that I help someone perhaps make it through the next day? Yes. So to suddenly be in a room and go, I don't really even know if I've integrated anything. I I really felt like Aunt Sally from Wurzel Gummidge, Mm. just, I. I'm a dancer, but I can't move. Everything hurts. I'm furious. I'm heartbroken. I'm impatient. I'm hot. I'm cold. I, I want to run away. It was like almost just being yeah. on kind of hallucinogenics <laughs> and so much confusion. And Nilia, who shot the video, was just really invisible. And she just said, just give yourself a moment to arrive here. And I started to move and I just could not stop crying because I suddenly felt that I hadn't integrated a fundamental piece about my dad, which involved me kind of almost just like going back to my job, the ordinary reality of doing what I'd always done for, you know, decades. And suddenly that had just stopped and kind of being a TV star. Mm. And suddenly I was thrown back into the world and the global stage of being a human being. And I was flawed. I mean, I was really flawed. But also the thing about my dad's death and also who he is and who he was, was there was so, so he held so much sweetness and so much joy and loved dancing so much. So even though there was all this grief, I just felt his presence going, yay, Mm. you know, yeah, Ketala, come on, you know, you can do Mm. this. And so, and then once I started dancing, it was, 
extraordinary. I mean, I'm different. I'm not the same person, not the same woman. I'm, you know, I'm a perimenopausal woman. I'm, I've lost a parent, which is such a specific initiation. Um, there's been so much loss in the world, so much unlearning and new learning. And so I move in a very, very different way. But there were moments where I touched into the ecstasy that comes and the unbridled joy and playfulness and the magic and the healing and the kind of the feng shui of what dance does. Mm. It just puts everything back where it's supposed to be. And so you find yourself again. So, but it was very, very weird. And the first three days we were all masked. You know, that was the protocol. And then right. on the third day we all took our masks off and suddenly, you're in a room with you know 50 people and you're together mm. like yeah like i can see you beneath your eyes and what yeah. your mouth is doing and it was a very 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 profound time i felt that for that week the 50 of us in our tiny way were recalibrating what had happened for two years, which I think is what all the groups that are gathering are doing. They're helping the whole planet basically just recalibrate where we've been on all the levels of where we've been and actually where we are. And when I watched your video and heard your words and saw your physical expression, your story is our story. So I was watching it kind of knowing, oh, this is us. And also thinking of you holding the space for the group as the facilitator, of course, what you're going through is what every other person, unless they've been doing some of this work, but as we know, it's been very limited. Yeah. I know of a few group things that have happened in the last couple of years, but very few. Yeah. So yeah, it was very impactful to be with you in that moment and that expression and also realize, oh, this is us. This is all of us. We're all a bit... Um, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but like we're all having to re, yeah, that, that's it. And discombobulated, yeah. and that's what it felt like, this kind of, like all the fractals coming into yeah. place. And, and also there were moments during that week, you know, and that's what's so beautiful about Amber and I working together is there are moments I get to just be a student mm. and not just a leader or a teacher or a healer or a guide or, and moments where I would dance a lot. And then suddenly I was going, I'm exhausted, you know, like, the stamina that we have lost in some physical form and and yet a different kind of stamina that we've developed emotionally and cross-culturally and and seeing that in the reflection of everyone in the room people going i used to be able to do this without thinking about it and but the the depth that's been asked of all of us in the last 2 years i think is what's really showing up and i think we're only beginning to really integrate <laughs> where we've been. Totally, and that's gonna take some time. You mentioned Amber, and I know a few years, when did you, well, it was a few years ago, I think I heard about 360 Emergence and that this was what you and Amber had created together mm. and you were doing workshop, and, mm. and I was like, oh, I love that, I love the name, and I mean, I can't think of a better name for now. I, I mean, of course, lo and behold, you, were, you were intuitive ahead yes. of the curve. Yeah. How, how did that working collaboration and friendship kind of come together so very much like you know i mean i you know i'm i'm an, i'm very devoted to my beloved so amber and i met 22 years ago this year at a, gabrielle's first month long mm. 
And it really was love at first sight, I mean, for both of us. And, um, and then we went on our journey of the five rhythms, both becoming teachers and deep diving. And then our lives, like you and I, went in really different directions. And then I want to say about 2012, this real sense of being drawn back together, like a, a shamanic appointment, because there had always been an appointment. But we just kept going, hmm, let's start. And she had moved to Costa Rica. Um, and so I started to go and visit her and teach with her. And we started working together in this 360 dance space. And we were both teaching the five rhythms at that time, but other things were coming out of that crucible, I would say. And I think there's something also about specifically dancing in a round. Some other information comes and also working in a space where there are no walls you know, which you get to do in Costa Rica. Yes. They have these kind of amazing dance spaces with incredible ceilings, but you've got a 360 view. And so there was always this sense that the community were always receiving wisdom from the spirits of the land and mm. from nature and from the sky and from the mountains and the river and the ocean. And the more and more we started to work together, other things started to emerge and percolate. And we started to kind of go, hmm, like what's here? And but very, very, very quietly. And so the three the, the 360 is now three years old. So three years old, three years ago, we were very clear it was time to step into what was really calling us. And I'm sure you know that that once you kind of make an an agreement with someone, the third comes in and pulls you in a different mm -hmm. direction. So we you know deeply grateful to the five rhythms and Gabrielle Roth for it being our launching pad. But we felt that we wanted to create some other structures and bring some other things and other flavors in. So we were very clear it was a 360 and we worked with a lot of other words and the sense of what was emerging kept coming in. And also there was this real sense of the emergency of our times. Mm. And we definitely got some feedback. People were like, oh, you don't want to use the word emergency, emergence. We were like, no, no, no. We are stepping into the moment we have all been waiting for. Now, it might not be what we had hoped for right mm. now. It doesn't necessarily look like it. Mm. But I feel amongst all the difficulty that there is so much beauty happening and so much wisdom and so much empowerment for members of our community that have been voiceless and powerless and unseen stepping forward. So for me, the 360 emergence at its center is honoring that emergence that's happening across the world. Mm. And that feels very important. I'll speak to my, for myself very, you know, the political aspects, the sexual aspects, the human rights aspects, the the cultural education that we are going in that's so ancient and yet has to be grounded in the body in a whole new way mm. and, and the respect that has been missing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, with this breakdown that we're in right now. There's so much about the breakdown that can be scary or horrifying or debilitating depending on the day. Yeah. But then there is also the breakdown of a lot of the repression that you were talking about earlier that, that we're beginning to be able to rise above and, and rise through. Yeah. It's, it's very mixed, but I, I'm taken back to a conversation we had about 20 years ago to do with the, the principle of regeneration and life and death that we see in shamanism. Mm -hmm. And you were part of the Sacred Trust, mm -hmm. a facilitator for the Sacred mm -hmm. Trust. How... How did the shamanism element 
come into your life? Because when I hear you talk now about 360 emergence and everything you do, there is always this deep underpinning of the, the shamanistic understanding of life. So how did that show up in your life? Or, I mean, if I'm being honest, I think the, the magical was always present. So when I met the folks from the Sacred Trust or Michael Hanna's The Way of, you know, The Way of the Shaman and the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, those methodologies and those maps made me go, oh gosh, I've been doing this my entire life. Innately. You know, it, absolutely. Like the way that I would, you know, if my brother was struggling when we were young, I would I now realize I'd perform kind of soul retrieval on him. When my mom wasn't feeling well and I'd lay my hands on her, it was, you know, extraction. So there was, I think this is what happens to so many people is that as you get older, you meet different methodologies that reflect who you've always been. Mm. So for me, it gave me context to why I was meeting the invisible as a young child. And so when I finally got that kind of linear mapping, it helped me get an understanding of who I've always been and that my intent has always been what's underneath, what's underneath, what's hidden, what's not being said, what's round the corner, yeah. what wants to come in that isn't being spoken, you know, just welcoming in the unspoken, the unseen and the unsaid. And I was very unskillful for a very long time because it's all about being truthful, isn't it? You know, and then as you grow older, you realize that actually being truthful is not necessarily what's appropriate. It's who's saying it, how you're saying it, where you're saying it, when you're saying yes. it, you know, having a kind of sacred countenance. So the shamanic path feels like it's kind of in my DNA. And my great grandmother was a healer, you know, Devorah in Romania, people would travel all over Eastern Europe to come and work with her. And she worked with leeches and honey. Mm. So, you know, and a lot of people in my family were all seers and healers. So it feels very, very much part of the kind of fabric of who I am. Um, and I think journeying and traveling is something people are doing all the time. And I think that's why, you know, medicine journeys, whether they're with plant medicine or it's a dance journey, people are drawn to them. You know, that's why rave culture was so huge because people could come into a unified field, experience a high level of joy and then go home. But I think, you know, you and I are much more drawn to how can you sustain that in your ordinary day-to-day mm. -day life? And for me, dance has always been that. And also shamanic practice, prayer, communing with the invisible, communing with nature, you know, lighting a candle, very, very simple, sacred ways that are so, I think all of us have come from a shamanic background. If you go back far enough, all of our ancestors were communing with the spirits of the land. Everyone was growing, everyone was in conversation with the weather. How is this going to affect our our future. And so I think we've just come so far away from indigenous ways. And that's what we're seeing as a return. And what we're having to return to is honoring where there's been a breakdown of honoring the ancient ways, yeah. you know. And I think that's what's happening. There's so much repair happening and there's so much reverence needing to be returned to that field. Um, and if you're, an, if you've kind of traveled away from where you live, you go back there and your people knew how to take care of themselves in an invisible way. And that got broken by war and trauma and displacement and Holocaust and horrendous things. Yeah.
but people were surviving in those environments by doing magical things. Yes. I mean, if you go to Auschwitz, it's, it's engraved on all the dorms, like butterflies are everywhere. They knew that they were in some transformational aspect of a nightmare, but they knew within that there was a landscape that you could kind of move through the darkness. And that's why there were so many extraordinary stories for people that never got out and for people that did get out. Mm. But there was this landscape of how do we survive and how do we thrive in this moment? And I think if you've come from a lineage of atrocity, you have it in you to transform yourself because you have to. And there's something really profound about knowing about evil and death because that really is the springboard into the beauty and the grace for me. Which I think is why we're in this polarizing time around light and dark right now. You know, the dark is, the dark is more in our face than I've ever seen it mm. in my lifetime mm. anyway. Um, and yet yeah. at the same time, you're having these incredible breakthroughs around consciousness and community and new ways being born. It's messy and difficult at times, but it's, 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 it's on, as yeah. you would say. It's on, yeah. It's I mean, on. you know, for me, I go, the Time's Up movement, you know, the Me Too movement, I think the great awakening of the sacred feminine, and yes, of women going fucking no more, mm -hmm. like enough, but also if we take it out of that kind of gender perspective of the sacred feminine that lives in all of us, something had to shift to, you know, basically go, <laughs> Yeah, You know, time's up so that we can be in a time of time is on. And I'm aware of that every moment right now. I mean, mm. maybe it's because also dad died. But I think, you know, you have to be really, really asleep, like really asleep to not see what's happening. Yeah. And knowing that at any moment you could be gone. And so my commitment really is to be in the river of love and not in a kind of new agey unicorns and dolphins way, although I love unicorns and dolphins, but just I might not ever see you again. Mm -hmm. So for me, every moment feels like my last. But in that moment, I feel so present, except when I'm in my own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if I'm honest, I feel like I'm more alive now, knowing more about grief and life and death than I ever have been. And I'm, I suppose somewhere I'm, I'm ready to go if I have to. If mm -hmm. it's my appointment to go, I'll be a bit sad because I'd like a little bit longer, but I go, okay, I've, I've, I feel like I've definitely given as much love and juice as I can up until this moment. I don't feel like I've got any, I don't believe in bucket lists. No, it's a very interesting idea, isn't it? It's like, I, I mean, I, I'm sure for the people who do believe in it, there's something in that for them. Yes. But I definitely share your view of we never know that we're going to have tomorrow. I mean, that, that has been ingrained into me for the last 20 years by my guides. Mm. Uh, mm. And so it is something I've lived with. And then now we lost our dads the same month. Yes. Um, and I had, been, I had been privy to a lot of death the year before, some quite confrontational deaths in my life. So that was just another moment of like, yep, one minute someone's here and the next minute they're just gone. Yeah. And once they're gone, you can't get them back in the physical. Yeah. Sure, you can have a new relationship with their soul, but it's different. It's not the same as how they smell, how they move through a room, how your body and energy change because they're physically in the room. Like that's now forever gone. Yeah, no. 
So there's, I know. It sucks, doesn't it? But I think, I think that level of immediacy does make you very present. It's funny, Kate, this is a real tangent in a way, Go but I, I can't help but ask you about, especially as we're talking about life and death, I knew you at a time that you were one of the most intentional people I had ever met at that point around becoming a parent. Mm. Like, and I remember, you know, in some of our groups, that was something that was being held space for, you know, it was one of the things that you were wanting to bring into your life was mm. becoming a mother. Mm. And, and you did. Mm. I mean, I'm always fascinated by the journey that parents have. I know it's a big question, but here you are with your, your son about to turn 18. Like, how do you feel in this moment about the fact that you, you got to parent in this life? Like, I know it's a huge question, but you can go wherever you want. I just, I feel like that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen you create. <laughs> and you're a, to me, you're a creator. And I was there at the time when you were calling it in. Mm. And then now he's, you know, he's yeah. he's about to... Well, and also to kind of, I already was a mum. You know, Tim has a, has a son, Ben, who um, is now nearly 33. So I was bestowed a son, which is a, a very extraordinary thing. Um, I think it's a privilege to be a stepmom. And, yeah. um, and I don't even feel like that almost feels like an insult. I'm not his stepmom. I'm Ben's mum. And that's also honoring his birth mum. And um, and so that, that was definitely a teaching in of itself. And then it was this moment of literally going, I have to have a baby. And Tim and I discussed that if I couldn't get pregnant, because I didn't know that we would adopt, because I knew I wanted a baby. I knew I wanted, I, Ben came into my life when he was around seven. So there was definitely those first seven years, and but I wanted to have the experience from very, very little, and I was blessed to become pregnant. And um, I mean, I have to say, one of the most extraordinary, meaningful things of my entire life to this day. I mean, I can be right here 18 years later going, oh my God, I can remember exactly how it felt. People go, oh, I can't remember. I'm like, how can you not remember? <laughs> You're growing a human, you know, and so, I have to say I've pretty much loved it every single day. He is an extraordinary human being. He's one of my greatest friends and teachers. And I, I, you know, I say to him often, I cannot believe I've been blessed to spend every single day of my life with you for the last 18 years. And um, it's a privilege. Mm. I mean, it really is a privilege. And um, I don't even know what to say. Well, can I'm I ask you a question? Yes. You know, one of the things I so admire in all the parents I know that I didn't understand when I was younger, but now I do. You're constantly letting go. Mm. Like, and that, that's the thing that scares me about, like, I don't, I don't think that will happen for me now in this mm. life. At mm. least I don't sense it will. Mm. But, you know, I'm, my nephews and my nieces who are beautiful young adults now, I miss them when they were three. Yeah. I'm like, where did that person go? Yeah. You know, that little... You know, because th it's like they're constantly becoming new people mm -hmm. and you, you never get to see them again at that age yeah. or in that way. They're still in there, but it's become something different. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I just always think, wow, what a teaching of how to continually let go, to be deeply connected. And yet you have to continually let that connection renew and let go. Well, I remember I'd just given birth and 
the first time he was on me, I remember looking down and I saw him as a teenager. Hmm. And I saw him with like hairy armpits and a hairy chest and he was drinking a beer. And I went, oh my God, now that you're out of me, I've already got to let you go. It was almost like one of the first teachings of, oh, you think he's yours. Because when a child is inside of you, it's, you know, you can't yeah. really own anything more than that, really. Uh, like, you yeah. know, it's basically you live inside of my body, baby. Yeah, yeah. And then the minute they're outside of you, it's now your you're there to help to steward them through life. I felt like I was a sheepdog, really, in some way. Mm. Um, I wonder what Luca would have to say about that. But just like kind of, you know, over here and over there and then watching them develop. It's your role to keep guiding them and hopefully not fuck it up too bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. And yeah, letting go. And I think there's definite phases of that, you know, like the last year, as I know, he's getting ready to leave. There's moments where I just want to kind of Velcro him to my chest and just have him right attached like he was when he was in a sling. And I kind of own that and tell him that and he'll give me a cuddle and then I'll be like, all right, mum. But I do think that's also love, though, isn't yeah. it? When we love so deeply yeah. and this thing of like, I want to hold you close. You know, we have that with our lovers and our beloveds that, oh, we've only, you know, like my mum was with me for two months. And just when she was leaving at the airport and just wanting to hold her and like shove her in my handbag mm -hmm. and take her home with me. And so I think that's when we love deeply. And yes, my relationship with Luca is very specific, but I feel that about all the people I love the most. Of course. That there are moments I want to Velcro them to my yeah. chest. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I do think we're being asked to constantly come in and to let go. Yeah. You know, it's like, or I kind of have to say to the boys, I'm needy koala right now. I just need to kind of grip on for a moment. Oh. And then, and that's the nervous system, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Opening and closing. Mm -hmm. Reassuring, resting, restoring, and trusting. So... I think, yes, being a parent is one thing and it's extraordinary, but I, I do believe because I've had both experiences of having a son that is not of my body and having a son that is of my body that there, it's about holding space for them to become who they are and them changing me. Yeah, of course. I am so changed by their knowing of me. <laughs> Of course. They know me more than anyone, actually, I would say. Yeah. You know, they've seen it all. Yeah. That's the beauty of intimacy, the highs, the lows, the in-between, and kind of being able to be in a space with each other, uh, with all of that going on. Yeah. And of course, that's the beauty of the kind of intimate work that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go into a safe space where the whole intent is to reveal yourself, learn about yourself, have others reveal themselves to you, learn about yourself, themselves. It's, it's yeah. extraordinary. So, Kate, I could, of course, talk to you for a long time, but I know we have limits here with our conversation. But I guess the last thing really I'll ask you, I know 360 Emergence is unfolding mm -hmm. in the coming years. I know you're doing uh, a lot of online and in-person mm -hmm. facilitation and teaching. Mm -hmm. With the uncertainty of everything right now, if there was anything you want to call in for your life personally or for the world in the next year or two, is there anything? And I know we've... I mean, oh, so much, you know, healing. I mean, I, and love. I mean, I really, you know, 
Love is at the center of everything, really. You know, when I was driving here, I, I love looking into people's car. And in LA, people don't really like to look at each other much. You know, there's mm -hmm. definitely the blinkers. And so I was, I just leaned over and there were these two fabulous guys in a van and I just gave them a massive smile. And the driver was kind of like, kind of looking at me like, what? And his friend was like, and then he looked at his friend like, basically, come on, there's a moment. And he turned to me and it was almost like a sorry. And he just smiled and I was like, there we go. You know, like time yeah. is so precious. So my, my hope is that there can be a lot more kindness because there's so much polarization. Mm -hmm. And my experience of when polarity comes into the room, so much healing is possible. When opposing forces show up in a room, there's a possibility for a transmutation that no one was expecting. And I've seen that time and time and time and time and time again. Like, you know, people coming into the room like, you're not my people or whatever. Or the people that you judge and you dislike the most in the room are the people that you end up loving the most yes. in the room. So that's been my experience over and over and over again. And I have a kind of innate belief in that polarities, when they come together, create a greater third. So I think the intent for Amber and I in the 360 emergence is to not only encourage and support new leaders to come forward from so many different backgrounds and to encourage folks that need to go into different communities to do the good work and to spread the good medicine in their own unique way is for a deep sense of understanding and kindness and patience mixed with a whole lot of sweetness and joy. Because my experience is that the more we embody our stories, the more we understand ourselves, and then there's more room, space, to hear something that is completely other to us. Mm. And that's where we have to meet, is in our otherness and realize that there is no such thing, you know, just parts of ourselves that we have not met yet. And I gotta be honest, there are moments I, I'm very frightened. I'm, you know, like everyone, I'm yeah. really frightened and I wake up in the middle of the night and then I drop down into the silence and the grace and there's this hum that I feel that's underneath it all that I, I just have to keep dropping down and trusting in that and knowing that we're not in control. We're in a time of extraordinary uncertainty that I don't know we've ever experienced in a, this incarnation of this reality mm -hmm. on planet Earth. And I, I don't think anyone really has the answers, but I do believe that if we go together, we'll grow and we'll figure it out together. And, um, and the more we can cross pollinate and the more we can listen and be in the uncomfortable, I have great faith. Mm. Uh, everything you just said, I could could have said myself, but then there's only one of us here, and there's only one of us here. So thank you so much, Kate. I um I th I think it's interesting just the strange feeling I have is the un the 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 deeper uncertainty we have in this time, the more likely we are to come together. It's a strange. And difficult truth, I think, because I know it's easy to think, oh, wouldn't it be great if everything was settled? But there was no way that where we had come to could be settled mm. because there were so many things that were waiting to. Mm. So like you, I have my days and my moments where I look at the world and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this is not this is not what my mind 
had hoped or thought we'd be in in some ways. And then in other ways, I'm I'm reminded it's you know this is the this is the time you were here to walk through, and sometimes be a steward for, and sometimes be stewarded through by yeah. others, and that yeah. dance between us all. So, and also I think you know where you and I also re- it's also through if if folks have an opportunity to step into their creative, magic happens. You Absolutely, know, dance, music, celebration. I think when people are given a spoonful of honey to help the medicine go down, then there's more room. And I think the more creative spaces we can create in all of the communities that are happening, with you know, all the extraordinary work, the more we can bring different communities together to simply listen and realize there's a lot we can learn from each other. Um, I mean, that's why we know permaculture works, right? Mm. <laughs> the more the, the, the fields are mixed with different fruits and vegetables, the greater the harvest. So my my hope and my prayer in 2022 is that we can all know that and folks that are shut down and shut off or that terrified can have a moment of inspiration somewhere that opens their hearts you know so the fist becomes the open hand beautiful thank you so much my friend love you love you too thank you for being here (laughs) so to Follow what Kate does, what Kate offers, and what Kate and Amber are offering with 360 Emergence. As ever, you can go to the links underneath this video, or if you're listening in the show notes, uh, you can find Kate on Instagram. I highly recommend uh, if you need a, a good dose of life. I sometimes pop on one of Kate's dance videos and dance along, and she she gets the fire in my body going again. But we hope you've enjoyed the show. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time on Impact the World. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm an intuitive, a channeler, and for the last 18 years, I have been guiding people with their energy and their spirituality. I have been a lifelong student of boundaries, and I think most of us are. Boundaries used to mean to me putting a line between me and someone else or saying no. And I understand the need for that aspect of boundaries. It's important. And to learn how to do that in a skilled, compassionate, heartfelt way is a practice and takes time. But the other side of boundaries is that it actually increases our connection to have boundaries. So the people that we're connected to in life and those relationships can become richer when we know where our lines are and equally when we are able to respect their boundaries and to know what they might need. So in my masterclass on boundaries, we're going to take a full 360 look at boundaries, not just the boundaries that you are perhaps needing to create in your outside world, but also how are we dealing with our inner world Do we have boundaries around our time, our choices, the things that we're giving our attention to? Self-care and boundaries go hand in hand. When you sign up for the class, you will immediately receive a full channeled recording called Boundaries and Connection. This is something where my guides talk about the energetics of boundaries and how they're playing out in our life all of the time. I'm choosing to deliver boundaries live so that if you want to be with me for the live event, you can. I will be breaking up each module and building in some short breaks so that you have time and space to integrate throughout the class. 
and then you will have lifetime access to all of the material. We will be organizing the material in a very user-friendly way. So you'll be able to dip into sections and worksheets and use it as a refresher or a primer as you go along with your boundaries journey after you've experienced the class. If you feel this is for you, but you know you can't make the live date, if you sign up, you will receive the replay within 48 hours of the broadcast and you will have access to it, to go through it at your own pace, in your own way. Boundaries has been one of the key game changers for my life and I learned boundaries in a very resistant way. Like many, I thought that you shouldn't have boundaries, that if you really wanted to be open and connect with everybody, it, it wasn't good to have boundaries. And I learned the hard way that you can have boundaries that actually support deeper connection with others. It's a lot less chaotic, it's a little bit less painful, and so I'm going to share some of not only what I have learned with you over the years, but also having worked with people all over the world for the last 18 years on this theme and this topic, I wanted to give you an opportunity to take a deep dive into it in a way that can empower you for your life and for all of the connections that you're gonna have in your life going forward.